I know there are people who will say that China Mobile is probably, is possibly, not probably, but possibly feeding information to Huawei. Mm. Or, you know, I mean, Huawei, China Mobile is Huawei's biggest customer. Yeah, as we just said, that's um, 60%, yeah. I think. And, and also, there's all these smaller little companies that we don't really know much about. I mean, Picocom is is a member, and it's, it's as I say, it's part British, part Chinese. So it's a little bit easier to, to get in touch with them and have a chat. But there's a lot of very obscure companies where we don't really know what the ownership structure is and who's behind them. And mm. possibly Huawei has something to do with them. And I find it quite hard to believe that Huawei would just go no and turn around and pretend that it's never going to happen. Because well, especially not when its biggest customer is quite keen on it. As, uh, exactly. Hello and welcome to another telecoms.com podcast. We've got, uh, I think we need to recap on last week. Do you remember last week I came in and I was like, oh no, Epsilon. You were very depressed last week. Well, I was, I was still feeling a bit ill and it was like raining and windy and foul. Yeah. But that Epsilon, we thought it'd be Epsilon, but what we didn't realise is they'd been, they'd been racking up the Greek letters while we haven't been looking. I didn't even know that so some of these variants have gone out there and only affected like three people. And obviously, uh, yeah. Um, what it should have been was called uh, Z, shouldn't it? Well, that was that was the thing because the, the Greek letter before um, Omicron, which is what they ended up calling, is spelled X I, yeah, Z she whatever, and obviously that's a bit contentious, isn't it? Oh, Omicron is for the letter E. No, 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 we've already Omicron, had all of that. We're about, we're on have about, we? we're on about. Apparently, the, there's loads of variants that just didn't go anywhere. We're on about the thirteenth character of the, the Greek 13th alphabet. Variant. Stage. I thought yeah. it was Delta, the last one. No, there's been lots well, since Delta. It. It's this just what they've just been, been saying. so insignificant and not oh. actually done much that they okay. haven't. They, haven't they call them to public attention. Basically, they call them VOCs, variants of concern. Apparently, the ones that stand out. Yeah, yeah, not variants of color. Fuck, variants of concern. Yeah. Um... So this one basically was lingering around in some some poor bugger for for weeks and and, and learning, then it suddenly learning, came out learning, training itself up to be like yeah. super different from the rest of them. I know, and so like a Rambo moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you were you were telling me I was being a bit Eeyore-ish a week ago. What are you saying now? I still don't think there'll be more restrictions than they've than they've done, it's which just is just face masks, the maskiness. I don't think I no, don't but expect any to change people before. and stuff. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's good, and I don't even like the face mask stuff that much. <laughs> but actually. We're still being told to wear face masks anyway, even on in in public transport. Right, I better not so. incriminate myself and tell them. I'd, I'd, tell I'd the be very very surprised if they go if they do anything like um, your like not, most of the rest of the world. Yeah, and that's not even driven Central by Omicron, Europe. Though, is it? Though that's the thing. What's going on in, the, in Europe? No, that's the true. Moment. They've just got a surge. They've just got a surge, and they've reacted by putting it into lockdown. But that's again. my concern: is the political climate. I've I've noticed throughout the whole two years, when con- one country does something, it it sometimes gives the green light for everyone else to give it a go. Anyway, um, so I, I still remain pessimistic. They've still plenty of time to cancel Christmas and generally arse everything up. It's not that long now. I'm hoping school break <laughs> helps. Mm. It's two weeks, right? Do school break? Uh, but, yeah, but, but, yeah, a bit longer than that, I think. But what's going to have to happen to, for them to do that? This is the thing. We've already got really high cases. Omicron's not going to make that much Wait, difference. In England, we've been plateauing, though. It's, always yeah, it's been, still very mm. high. It's still a high number. It's been high for, for weeks and weeks. The right, important right. thing is it's never led to a big spike in hospitalisation. No. Unlike mm. the rest of Europe, That's we seem to look down. at this and go, oh, here's cases, here's hospitalisations and deaths. As long as the hospitalisations and deaths are quite low, no. yeah. then we won't put I we was looking at the worldometer, so checking my sources here, mm-hmm. and it's... Basically, around we we dab with forty. It's gone 000, down a bit, yeah. but then the deaths has gone down. The deaths yeah, has gone down, and the hospitalizations is reasonably low compared to what it has that's been. That's presumed to be down to the vaccine. Although I think I think people underestimate natural immunity. 
and quite then, a lot of people it, have got it. Is there a drug? Apparently, off. there's a drug now. Well, there's always there's there are always, several that they can there's always use one. To if you want to look at charts, have a look at Merck's share price. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, and, the, and then the other, the other reason why I'm optimistic is because the latest sort of studies that have been reported on in the last couple of days are that they think these vac- the vaccines are actually pretty good at, re- at preventing severe illness with Omicron. So, and that's the, that's the only important thing, as long as it prevents severe illness. That's what Fauci was saying. As long, if, the, if the vaccine is 51% effective, that's all we need right. to eventually... So, so yeah. I'd, I'd be very, very surprised if there's any kind of... The only thing I think would change it is if there's a big increase in hospitalizations and deaths before Christmas, and I, I mm. don't think that'll happen. So I don't think it's yeah. They only look at okay. So I'm NHS. still I'm still being the more pessimistic one. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. That way you won't be disappointed. Ba- based on We've thinking that more there's going to be an increase in deaths. Based on my um, observations about the willingness of politicians and policymakers to panic and to err on the side of uh, draconian measures rather than risk anything. But they could have done that already. Yeah, but they still can. Just because they haven't yet doesn't mean yeah. they never will. But it, but it doesn't it suggest to you that they're looking at it and going, well, let's see what happens with hospitalizations and deaths. Yeah, if, if they're being rational, but they haven't always been rational. D- didn't they do that last year? They were like, let everyone do I'll, their shopping. And then I'll, right when it's Christmas, they go, I'll okay, bet you now a tenner. you're locked in. I'll bet you a tenner. All right, well, we've got two more pods. I'll bet you a tenner there's no more restrictions than mask wearing. Right, you got it. Ooh. We've got two more pods yeah. that we're going to do. It's this official. one and two more after this before, before Pierre swans off to Canada. Well, uh, it's Christmas anyway. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, some of us are still going to be working. Really? You would do a podcast on the 23rd? <laughs> 24th, actually. 24th, yeah, yeah. Um, we're off then, aren't we? You're uh, away anyway. Yeah, well. You can do it from Canada and get you take your camera. Sure, over. yeah. Let's do yeah. one on New Year's Eve, yeah. on Christmas Eve. Yeah. Get some um, Canadian whiskey. <laughs> That's actually, we've, we've had all kinds of other whiskey. We need to yeah. start yeah. getting yeah. to Canadian uh, Canadian blend is actually pretty good. Anyway. Um, so that's that. Um, what other small talk have we got? We got a, a kind of a bribe of the week. Mm-hmm. We went out to dinner with Huawei this week, which was really cool. They went to um, sort of Ming Jan, is it? Was that? Forget, yeah, yeah. Uh, really nice posh Chinese restaurant um, attached to a hotel in Kensington, right on Hyde Park. Um, and really good. And we had loads of courses, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a highlight was uh, like the whole like roast duck. That rather was really than good. shredding it, although we did skin it up in pancakes, Picking rather back. than shredding it, they just sliced it, which felt a bit posher. Yeah, um, not sure it works. I mean, like, it tastes good, but I'm not sure it works. It's easier as well. to skin there's up a, when, a, it's, when it's shredded. When you're rolling it like exactly. a cigar, it's better if it's shredded. Really. Yeah, I, I definitely. I basically had to do my pancake in about two bites. It's you kind of to do it too more. You get bits just. Yeah, I was say, it's a weird <laughs> food to eat in a corporate setting. You know, like mm. it is. Yeah. Do yeah. you know what? Fair play. To Huawei. So the whole thing was was just off the record. So we're not going to get into what we discussed. But fair play to Huawei. It was it was a really chilled night. Um, you know, everyone was just chatty. There was no agenda. Yeah. There was no corporate brainwashing. Um, they just wanted to get some hacks together and, and just say hello. How's it going? Is there a speech? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Actually, it's one of mm. the, one of the best. I don't think it was a speech, was there? Um, I think did he do Victor a little bit Zang start, did a little intro, but, little but even that was very very. No, downbeat wasn't it? Not downbeat. Not, not it was just um, only lasted a couple of minutes. Sure, yeah. It wasn't like a pitch or anything. So, I mean, I think you know what what's going on there as well is just while we're just going, look, we're still here. Yeah, we're not going anywhere, son. Yeah, you can throw all this stuff at us that you want, but we're still here. Well, and and I, you know, as you say, it was all Chatham House rules and off the record, but. Um, I'm sure they wouldn't mind me saying this. They did make the point that they're still, because they've, they've said it elsewhere, that they're still obviously a significant presence in Europe. You know, just because there's yeah. been this pushback, 
doesn't mean they don't have huge businesses across the continent still. And, you know, the, the UK is a bit of an unusual case, really, in terms of having gone so hard on yeah. restrictions. No, that's true. Um, most of continental Europe, I mean, the, the, the EU still hasn't adopted a, a, a sort of strident position yeah. on, on Chinese vendors. Or, or as we call them, high-risk vendors. Yeah. Um, there's still plenty of it going on in in Germany. Uh, they still do business in France, don't they? They do. Yeah. Wait, yeah. they the should moment. be called vendors of concern. <laughs> high-risk vendors. No, that's, that's, the, that's, that's the expression. Yeah, I know, but he's going to go vendors of concern. Um, uh, so yeah, and and I just went to them. Well, look, you know, if you saying if you're reminding everyone that you're still around means taking us out for pricey dinners then uh count me in <laughs> <laughs> so that that counts as a brother it doesn't mean that we're going to be nicer or nastier to our way than we'll be before as i always stress the brother of the week's a tongue-in-cheek thing yeah it's just it's just a nice little perk <coughs> and it was nice to meet them I, I got chatting to some cool people from huawei uh and some other journalists that don't come to some of these things so it's just a good night out yeah although um so we've got to give a shout out to their head of comms, uh, Paul Harrison, is that his name? Yeah. He uh, medicined us at the end of the night with some sake. Mm. And uh, and I was, uh, I definitely had a bit of a head on me the next morning. What about you? I felt absolutely awful. <laughs> the worst hangover I've had in about a year. Really? Yeah. That minging? Yep. The first half of the day was a write-off. It was just me sitting at the table trying to just think sort of what I was going to do that Dabbing day. your brow and panting. Yeah. Yeah, well, I took a load of Nurofen. I was alright in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah, those 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 are nasty. You can get sometimes they can be slow burners. You wake up, yeah. and you're still a bit pissed, and you're like, yeah, well, I, I think I'll dodge like a bullet that. this time. Yeah, you need a and then it, of water. it came on at about ten o'clock. Then it just starts kicking in properly, yeah. and you're like, oh, I hate myself. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't good. So, Never um, again. So yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't want to dissuade Paul Harrison from you know. Getting the silly drinks out at the end of the night. He knows it makes sense. It's a funny one, Saki, because it doesn't taste that strong, but nah, it's obviously quite you potent. Now, especially yeah. when you've got posh sake, which I presume we had. Yeah. Um, so, yes, so that's all good. Right, I think that's enough faffing. Do you have any sort of producer stuff you want to throw into the mix? No. no. Presumably they're still into us in Hampstead or Belsize Park or something. Mm. Um, so we will just crack on, actually, because uh, we've, we've got to try and record another little video for a colleague after this. So we're going to move on. What are we going to chat about? Oh, yes. And just to remind you that if you're watching this on site, well, I nearly missed it. You're really you're watching, reversed now. Yeah, if you're watching this on uh, the site or on Facebook or on YouTube, you can also listen to it on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and loads of other podcasting platforms. Right. We're going to chat. We, we, I think we're going to have to go open round again. Um, we, we actually managed to not speak about it last week. Yeah. But we're going to have to go back, mainly because Light Reading, your site, in did a sort of symposium yeah, on the matter. Yeah, digital symposium. And you wrote up a couple of things. Yeah, very much of an Asian angle, the, the stuff yeah. that I covered. So it's sort of open around in Asia. Yeah, but, so uh, that's definitely the, the subset, which is where a lot of the action is. Yeah, although, yeah. Um, I mean, Japan's... It must be annoying is, the Americans. Japan's seen as the, the, the kind of hot market, largely because of one company, but actually... I think it's a bit more interesting than that, the story. And, okay, cool. And, and yeah, and, and I channelised a thing where where you had um, China Mobile bigging it up, yeah. which again is slightly awkward for the Yanks. And a bit counterintuitive as well, I think. Yes, it is. Cool. So we're, we're going to talk about that. Then we're going to talk about the sort of semiconductor sector. A couple of bits of news. I'm going to talk about one I wrote up today, which is uh, the Americans probably put in the kibosh on the NVIDIA acquisition of ARM. Yeah. And I'm going to say why I've always thought it was a rubbish idea to let yeah. NVIDIA buy them in the first place. 
uh, and you've uh, you've written some stuff about Marvell. Yeah, and and they're uh, noticed pre-market trading on the Nasdaq. They're up about twenty percent, which I think is partly because their results were were very good in some areas. But I think some of it's probably related to the. I'm guessing it's probably related to the uh, Nvi- uh, the Nvidia ARM decision. It's up sixteen percent right now. That's a good 16%. point, isn't it? That's a good point because yeah. that, that's one of the. I mean, there's a there's a small group of um, big ARM, you know, licensees. Is that the right word, licensees? I guess yeah. it would be, yeah. And, that, and it's among them. Oh, look well, at that. Six, yeah, but it's oh. dropping off again, though, isn't it? It's, well, it's going to drop off because it went up. It, 16% right well, I've, I've realised that with my little bit of um, stock dabbling over the year, I, you know, and I'm just doing it on free trade. Yeah. And so, you know, firstly, I've got to look at it and realise what's happening. Secondly, there's a delay in the selling. I think they only do a buying and selling phase like once a day. And mm. I don't even have a premium account. Nah, they yeah. wouldn't. Well, it's it's not very frequently. I promise the, you. Maybe you can get a premium account that gets you better. The fun thing. thing about Marvel is their share price has gone up three hundred and thirty percent in the last year and a half. Wow. Damn. Yeah. Um, but you know, when you're, you know, the thing about being a retail investor is if you're up against pros who've got machines that automatically sell off, you know, at a certain moment in time, you're always going to be behind the curve. Yeah. And by the time you've realised it's peaked and it's already selling off, by the time you get to sell your shit, it's probably lost half of its value anyway. Um, but that's fine. I've never chucked so much money at it. That's a deal breaker for me. You certainly live and learn. I might, you know, I might do that for my son when he gets a bit older. Just give him a lump sum of money and a free trade account, and just encourage him to muck about because he could learn a lot on, of just about on safe stuff. Yeah. Well, no, just whatever. I mean, just learning yeah. about business. Oh, yeah. just learning just about companies. Point five percent of the my son trades in crypto. Right. Oh, God. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I can't have a feeling he's, I've missed a boat on that. But I don't know how much. I don't know how much he's put in of, of his savings. But um, so yeah, we'll talk about that, and we will talk about why those share price price fluctuations might have well, yeah. asked me a bit. Share price fluctuations mm. might have uh, might have happened, and then we're gonna finish off. We're gonna talk about what was it? Was that Europe thing? Uh, Europe's big big tech really is the oh yeah thing, yeah we can talk about big tech whinging big, about big tech yeah Europe and, uh, Europe basically thinks big European operators basically think big tech should hand over some cash just just cause yeah um, and then we might if we remember and I see Mark Allaire at BT's been having a go on Twitter again this week about how much traffic there was on Wednesday night on the BT network apparently right. it's an all time high because of the football right. it was 25 terabits per second sort of peak which okay. they okay well we'll get into that I don't, I don't understand how they can moan anyway yeah. um, and then we might if we remember we, neither of us wrote it up but we know there's been the big AWS fest this week yeah. and there was at least one announcement to do with 5G which might be worth a nod yeah. but I think, speaking only for myself, I didn't write it up just because, you know, we'll go on about our angle on public cloud, which is, you know, is it is it so smart to hand over control of all your shit to a third party? Yeah. But the actual plumbing, the actual sort of under the bonnet of public cloud, I often find goes over my head a little bit. So I basically don't write it up unless I think I can devote sufficient time to really understanding what the hell is going on. And I didn't feel I did this week. So yeah. that's why I didn't bother. Well, I can talk a bit about that. Cool. All yeah. right. So that's what we're going to do. So, yes, to start with, I, might, I mean, I might as well hand it on to you because even the, the only coverage I did of this, I churnalized from your story. Mm. Um, so uh, why, don't you, why don't you tell us about this sort of like reading Open Round event and what you covered? Yeah, it's like a digital symposium. I think they started doing it when the lockdown happened um, last year, these online events replacing physical get-togethers, which obviously they couldn't do at the time. It's still a bit, bit difficult now. Um, and they generate quite a lot of interest i mean open rounds a hot topic obviously anyway so um but it was led by gabriel brown who's a principal analyst at heavy reading 
right. on Tuesday, and then we had another session yesterday, actually, which I haven't, I haven't really listened back to much of that one yet, which was Simon Stanley, who's another kind of heavy reading analyst, more more sort of involved on the chip side of things. And um, the session on Tuesday, I thought, was, was really good. I mean, there were a couple of uh, interesting things that came out of it. There was um, a presentation by a, a lady called Dr. Chi Lin, E, I think is how her name's pronounced. Yeah, her surname's just the letter her I. Her is just the letter I. I mean, it's this way of sort of transposing sure to... Mandarin, I suppose, to... I guess so, because in, um, in Mandarin, it's probably some cool hieroglyph. Yeah, But in English, exactly. it's just a, a <laughs> vertical line. Yeah, but um, she's her job, she's got quite a grand job title. I think she's a chief scientist or something for, for China Mobile. And um, talking a lot about what what they've been doing to uh, you know what their interest is the, the, i think the interesting thing about her is she's not only the chief scientist at china mobile she's also got a, a, a quite a sort of senior position within the oran alliance which is the standards group yeah um that's sort of developing not not really standards group i should probably say strictly speaking specifications group that's sort of uh, we're always getting into that semantical do, yes and I, th- I still think it should probably be called specifications well group i'm pleased to see you screw it up occasionally yeah. it's normally me um but she's got a senior position there on the technical ste- steering committee. I think she's co-chair of that at the moment. Um, obviously, a really smart lady. Speaks really good English as well. Um, and the interesting thing is, the whole China mobile involvement in Open RAN, I think, is it's a little bit counterintuitive. Yeah, it's not a company that you'd necessarily expect to be that interested in Open RAN in, yeah. in some ways. Because why? Because the whole Open RAN story, I think, from a, a Western perspective, has been fueled by this anti-Huawei kind of campaign that started under Donald Trump. Um, and thank you very much. Um, one of the, you know, one of the one of the consequences of that is this sort of protectionist push, I think, in America to to try and find alternative vendors to, to Huawei. And they evidently see Open RAN as the best way for them to do that. And at the same time in Europe, you've got where a lot of the big operators are kind of championing open RAN and really sort of urging authorities even to get behind it. Their, their concern is also very much to do with Huawei. It's that if you take Huawei out of the picture, you only have Ericsson and, and Nokia left as as equipment yeah. suppliers. And that's not really good enough. We don't want to be in a duopoly. Therefore, we want to get, you know, we want to get other alternatives into the market. It's that classic or, thing that happens with sort of top-down interfering in markets. Mm-hmm. Is you, you do one thing... And then that creates a problem, so you've got to fix that problem. It's like whack-a-mole, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, and so that's that's the dilemma we're in now. We don't like the fact we've got a duopoly. I don't think there's any suggestion that Nokia and Ericsson behave in any kind of cartel-like way, in an organised cartel-like way. But when you're a duopoly, it's easy to be a spontaneous cartel. Yeah. Because you've only got one competitor to keep an eye on. Yeah. If they raise their prices, you've got a choice of not raising yours or just going, fuck it, we might as well have some of this action as well. Yeah, and and if that's the concern, if that is what's what Open RAN's all about, and I think from a, a sort of national press perspective, certainly, then the narrative's very much been to do with you know Open RAN as an alternative to Huawei. Then you look at China Mobile, and you sort of think, well, why would they? You know, what, China's actually become more dependent on Huawei during the um, you know over the last couple of years during five G than it than it was in, under four G. You know, you look at you look at the sort mm. of four G story, Ericsson and Nokia. Um, were bigger suppliers to the Chinese operators in in the 4G days and, and the 3G days than they are in 5G. You know, well, you, you you've, me- see, you've seen what's happened. With yeah, the- well, you remember I did the maths. Yeah. I did, and I did a little spreadsheet, and basically there was a 700 megahertz um, tender 
that China Mobile did. This is the phase two one, isn't it, this year? Yeah, this yep. was the one in uh, July. Yeah. And, you know, and the hilarious thing about it, we covered it on the pod at the time, but it's worth reiterating. So the published numbers just, they were, they were like three stations, three little sort of subsets of the tender. Um, and, uh, yeah, and they were quite sort of uh, imprecise percentage points on each of those. But then when you applied those percentage points to the numbers and then worked out the total and then worked out the percentages that the grand total came to, they were round numbers, yeah. implying it's a completely top-down, predetermined thing. And Huawei got exactly 60%. Right. And then most of the rest would, would have gone to ZTE. Yeah, it was 31%. 31%. And then Nokia 4, Datang yeah. 3, Ericsson 2. Exactly. So this is so Nokia basically lost out badly last year. Didn't get anything at all, I think, in the phase one of 5G. Um, not as a sort of geopolitical thing. I think it was just perceived not to be at the races, really, technologically. Then they had various issues that they've been trying to get on top of. Um, Ericsson managed to increase its share slightly. But after what's happened this year, what you, I don't know what the figure you just said, it's about 2% or something. Yeah, 2%. It's, it's, it's right back down. So they're more dependent now on Huawei than they've ever been in China. Exactly. And, it, and it's not like there seems to be any, you know, a government level, you don't sense perhaps that that's much of a concern. And, you know, they, they have no, this... On the um, contrary, I think the government's determined. The government's it. pushed them to, well, ha- to use think, these suppliers. If you so, assume that it's a matter of political <clears throat> priority to the Chinese Communist Party to not let the Yanks kill... Huawei, yeah. Then of course, if whatever power they've got, they're going to mandate um, yeah, because it, because if China Mobile's not chucking money at Huawei, then who is? Yeah. Obviously, China Telecom and China Unicom. But if, if Chinese operators on the whole aren't keeping Huawei afloat, then it's kind of dead, isn't it? it yeah, completely. So so the story's a bit uh, the story's a bit <coughs> counterintuitive. Why China Mobile would be interested in Open RAN, but then on the other hand. If you think about the origins of, of Open RAN, you go back to 2018 when it sort of the, the ORAN Alliance came into existence. How how did it come into existence? So these two smaller groups, one called the XRAN Forum, which was largely a Western thing. I right. think AT&T was a sort of big sponsor of that. And you had another group called the CRAN Alliance. And the main backer of the CRAN Alliance was China Mobile. It's very much a Chinese thing. And those two things came together. This is This is sort of before the days when you know, Donald Trump was going around saying we need to not yeah. be heavily reliant on China. It was almost like a different era, you know. Was, that's true. Um, that's where the biggest... Hard to imagine it happening now. That's actually. where we'd write stories about how how Huawei's kicking everyone's ass, basically. It was. It? And and I think... And also, I remember when the Oran Alliance made its big announcement at the uh, Mobile World Congress 2018. Um, and it was very much a sort of quirky thing almost you know we want um there's an opportunity to lower costs perhaps there's an opportunity for service innovation maybe we can get some vendors in that can do specialized things that aren't being done but but all this stuff about our alternatives to huawei wasn't really in the narrative Mm. And, and i think there was probably an element of that i mean even then the market's consolidated a lot over the last 20 years and you go back and there used to be people used to say eight ten equipment vendors People like Nortel, yeah. you know, Motorola, Marconi, all these guys were involved to some extent if you go back far enough. And it's it's basically consolidated. The last big round of consolidation, of course, was Nokia and Alcatel-Lucent. We're now left with these three giants. It's changing a little bit. You've got people like Samsung, obviously, and ZT in the mix and some of the Japanese players now, partly because of Open RAN, actually. But um, it's still quite a consolidated market. I think 80%, you know, the estimate is, is still those three mm. big companies, Ericsson, Huawei, Nokia. So there was still, a, I think there was still an element of that, but that whole story has become 
a lot more pronounced, obviously, since the kind of anti-Huawei backlash. But I, but I think that the the fact that China Mobile was interested, you know, was the main sponsor of this CRN alliance, and it was heavily involved in the group that you know merged with the XRN forum to to produce the CRN alliance, shows that it's always had it's always had skin in the game. Yeah, yeah. it's always had, and I think a lot of it is to do with. If you look at what China does when it gets involved in a, a new technology, what it's done with 5G, it's explored all these various use cases, hasn't it? You look at the experimentation has been with use cases in China. It's probably a more uh, vibrant, um, diverse market in terms of the, the things they've been trying to do with 5G and IoT than, you, than you've had in the West. Huge amounts of experimentation to the extent, I think, where they've, they've said recently, actually, some of these use cases aren't going to go anywhere and mm. we're going to shut down some well, of these trials. Yeah, well, and I think and, the national strategy... And it's so easy for us to caricature China because it's it's positioned as this as this new great global antagonist. Yeah. Um, and you know, and and the the leader he does cut a slightly sort of Machiavellian figure at times. For sure. Yeah. Um, but you know, they're really serious about technology leadership. Whatever legacy stuff accusations might have been thrown at them ten or twenty years ago about you know IP theft and that sort of thing. Fact is, they've got. They've got world-class universities. They've got millions of people yeah. swatting their asses off learning this stuff. Yeah. Um, and they, they genuinely want to be a global leader in technology. And so it stands to reason that they're going to try and foster a sort of, for want of a better term, Silicon Valley kind of fail fast, try shit out, throw, throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks type of approach. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, one of the things actually that we heard mentioned by BT, you know, when we had that little <coughs> round table with them about Open RAN was, was um, small cells, wasn't it? That was one of the things they called out that, that could be an interesting Could be handy in an Open RAN context. Small cells is a really big, as I understand it from talking to people who know the market, small cells is a really big thing in China. You know, the, the right. big operators are very interested in, in small, the small cell opportunity, which is basically building like hotspots, I guess, really, where... You have um, a, a, a base station that would only cover a small area, but it uh, might be an area in a shopping centre, yeah, for example. Yeah, and as, as we know, I mean, they're particularly handy in terms of 5G, not necessarily because of 5G itself, but because 5G is using um, shorter wavelengths frequency, yeah. which is which has inferior <coughs> propagation characteristics. So it needs a bit of help from a small cell Completely. getting from the base station inside a building. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing, just a quick tangent. I wasn't planning to talk about it, but I'll only mention it briefly. One story I wrote up this week that a lot of people seem to overlook. Ofcom put this consultation paper out on terahertz spectrum. Right. So millimeter wave goes up to about 100 gigahertz, I think, mm -hmm. the, the broad band. And then from 100 gigahertz all the way to three terahertz, you've got terahertz band. So wow. that's obviously... That really you know, is a sitting on the base station thing to get it to, well, quite, to work. Well, quite. Quite. But they said, let's have a butcher's at okay. it. Okay. Um, well, who knows? By the time they start using that, maybe propagation's been improved. I mean, we've, the people have been talking yeah. recently, haven't they, about how how millimeter wave might be more useful than it seems so far. Because yeah, of and, and maybe back to the reason it's relevant. Back to your small cell thing. Maybe if, if small spells, cells are uh, sufficiently numerous by that stage, yeah, then then they can boost even more rubbish frequency like terahertz. But it's but it's new because it's a new deployment. It's like a greenfield thing. Yeah, you, you, you're rolling out these sites. Mm. They're new. They're they're kind of filling gaps. It's not like one of the big issues with Open RAN is, oh, we have to sort of tear out existing equipment or make sure it works with legacy technologies and all this. So you've got all those worries that go so, along with and that. And an extra cost. So if you're using if it for not... small cells, it's, it's like an op and it's very specialised as well. So mm -hmm. it's a way of perhaps getting new vendors in to do... Th so the interesting company I spoke with this week, actually, on the, on the chip side, um, is a company called Picocom, um, which is part Chinese, part British. 
strangely enough. I mean, okay. it's, so that's still allowed. It's geopolitically kind of interesting organisation, yeah. but they're developing... A bit like our dinner. <laughs> yeah, and they're developing silicon for small cells, open, open RAN compatible, like, chips. You know, the sort of thing that would basically be used instead of an x86 right. to do baseband processing, but very much tailored to a, to a small cell um, market. And I was ch- chatting to the guy who's president, Peter, Peter Clayden, he's called... You know, what well, are you going to be going up against people like Marvell and, you know, Xilinx and these big guns who've got, and, it, and it's basically a startup, essentially, this company. And one of the things he was saying is it, it's what you, the requirements for a macro cell and a small cell are very, very different. You know, you, you, you'd need, you know, you, you're, not, you're, not, you're not doing all that sort of 64 antenna processing stuff in a small cell. It might just be two or four or maybe eight. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the silicon requirements are quite different. So, so th- this is why I think one of the reasons why I think the Chinese are interested in open RAN. Okay. And I think, I actually think another reason is, you know, we, we or operators here worry about being overly reliant on Ericsson and, and um, Nokia. Yeah. Just because of what the government's saying. I, you know, I, I think if you're a if you're a technology person working for China Mobile at the moment, and you're building a network and trying to make money out of it, you know, and, and trying to ensure that it works properly and it's resilient, it's not necessarily a great thing that that network is now so heavily reliant on on Huawei. Yeah. Now, then they're, they're not going to use Ericsson and Nokia for geopolitical reasons, but if they can cultivate a, you know, an equipment market within China of companies that are specifically developing open RAN products, like Picocom, for instance, and maybe maybe bigger ones than that, maybe software companies that we don't know about, then that provides them with an alternative to this one big company that, to be quite honest, has got a lot of problems at the moment because of US sanctions. You know, yeah. there's all these question marks about its future. And, you know, I'm not saying it's going to collapse and fail, but certainly some of the sanctions have made it very difficult for Huawei to get hold of components in a way that, you know, those 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 restrictions don't affect other companies. Yeah, and I don't and think China's interested in going 100% protectionist. No. I mean, they could close, they could close down, they could be like the China of 50 years ago and be largely closed to the rest of the world and obviously do just fine in terms of telecoms because they've got, they've got Huawei and ZTE and all that sort of thing. But I just don't think that's what China wants to do. I think China wants to continue to be part of the global thing. Yeah, you could... You could um, say like some chats I had I won't name who it was and, and what specifically we chatted about but the other night I was I was just interested to to know about some other perspectives on on the on the great game yep um and you know everyone knows that they that China announced this Belt and Road initiative quite a while ago and I think the West feels like it was slow to react to it and 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 China probably does have some economically imperialist ambitions but from China's point of view they're like well why the fuck shouldn't we that's what that's what the yeah. West's been doing all this time. Yeah, completely. So, so why can't we ever go? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I'm sympathetic to that. Obviously, as soon as it starts messing with my stuff, I become less sympathetic to it. But on paper, I mean, you could even argue that um, you know, every now and then people get in a flap about nuclear proliferation, like Iran or something like that. And I don't like the thought of Iran having nukes because they've got some pretty crazy shit going on there. But how come? Pakistan can have it, or Israel can have it, or we can have it, and they can't. There's no hard and fast reason. I mean, I understand interest. So the same goes with this economic stuff. And so now we're, we're sort of reacting to it, and I think, I think China just wants to be... It wants to win at globalisation. Uh-huh. And I think in a lot of the ways it wants to win at globalisation is through legitimate means, yep. by, just, by just offering better stuff than everyone else. 
And then I think there are times it tries to put its thumb on the scales through things like currency manipulation and and, and other bits of protectionism. Yeah. But again, you know, we're 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 no no longer in the EU as I continue to celebrate. Uh, especially with Ursula von der Leyen going, she's thinking of making vaccines mandatory within the EU. I'm like, we'll see you later. <laughs> um, but you know, the EU's plenty protectionist. America's plenty. Everyone's plenty protectionist. So I just think, I my feeling is, I just find all these accusations of, you know, China's cheating and we're not should be disingenuous. Yeah. Um, and anyway, that's my roundabout way of saying back to your point about them not just being happy retreating into themselves and relying on Huawei. And, and they must know that if Huawei's got a guaranteed 60% of the, of the like RAN market forever, that's going to provide a disincentive to stay lean and mean and innovate. I, I don't care what Huawei says, that's just the law of economics. Yeah. Unless you have to strive and compete you're going to get a bit sort of fat around the middle, aren't you? Yeah, and I think I think China Mobile, I mean, to your point about China wanting to play in, you know, a globalised market and, and seeing opportunities there, I think that's possibly another reason why, you know, why there's this Chinese involvement in Open RAN. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some people would see that, some people that we know and talk to on the analyst side would probably see that <laughs> as a sinister thing. You know, the fact the Open RAN Alliance, O-RAN Alliance, you know, most of the companies in it, I think, or the the, com- the country that's best represented in terms of contributors and members is the US. But number two is China. Mm. I think it's more than 40 companies are involved. So all three are the big Chinese operators. Well, and, and loads and of IP is going to come these, from Huawei and yeah. ZTE. Well, it? Huawei's not. This is the interesting thing. Huawei's not a member of the Aero no. Alliance. But, but some of the underlying is, technologies, it's surely got to have some well, the, involvement yeah, the, in. So this is the thing. Is you know Huawei comes out with this line that it's not interested in an open RAN and it doesn't see the case for it at all and it thinks it's inferior and they pretty much write it off and seem to suggest that it's never going to go anywhere almost i mean they're they're far more resistant than yeah, even ericsson, ericsson nokia yeah. i mean I, I think nokia's been out of the big three vendors nokia's been the most receptive to it and, yeah. and we can talk about that in a minute actually but okay. and then ericsson sort of somewhere in the middle and huawei obviously the one that's least enthusiastic to the extent yeah. where it's not even a member i know there are people who will say that china mobile is probably is possibly not probably but possibly feeding information to huawei mm. or you know i mean huawei china mobile is huawei's biggest customer yeah, as we just said that's um, 60%, yeah. I think. and and also there's all these smaller little companies that we don't really know much about i mean picocom is is a member and it's it's as i say it's part british part chinese so it's a little bit easier to, to get in touch with them and have a chat but there's a lot of very obscure companies where we don't really know what the ownership structure is and who's behind them and mm. possibly huawei has something to do with them and i find it quite hard to believe that huawei would just go no, and turn around and pretend that it's never going to happen. Because well, especially not when its biggest customer is quite keen on it. Exactly. You know, why, yeah. would, why would you do that? So, but I, I, I can see, so there's all sorts of reasons why I can see China Mobile being interested. And the other thing I would say is that if they do something on Open RAN, um, you know, you talk about trying to build scale for Open RAN and, and actually get some momentum behind it and get prices down and scale for it. You know, if, even if they did a small sales deployment in just a bit of China, it's such a vast market that it could be it could mm. be the equivalent the of sort of macro deployment in another country. You know, so it's the sort of thing that could actually drive a lot of interest. Um, it, you know, in the investment community, the Chinese investment community, I'm talking about, um, and cut, help to cultivate this sort of Chinese ecosystem for equipment. And then all of a sudden, they've got not only alternative supplies potentially coming up in China in the same way that the US wants those those kinds of companies. But they've also got a base potentially to sell to other markets, you know. 
mm. as long as they don't get banned from doing that. But yeah. there's plenty of places that that might want to still buy from the Chinese. Africa, you know, other yeah, parts well, of Asia. Most, most so. of Africa and and non-Anglo APAC is still not hostile to China, yeah. to the best of my knowledge. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they, you could argue they've still got round about a half, a third to half of the world to play with. So that's another thing to bear in mind. While, well, you know, fair play to Huawei for 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 staying strong in the UK and and that manifesting itself through nice dinners for us. Um, you know, they're they're outside of China. Their financial future lies in sort of APAC and EMEA, yeah, I mean, and, Africa and. and, and Middle East. And sorry. I suppose that's the concern because there's been a lot of this, um, stuff from the Europe. I mean, we're going to talk about one of their other gripes later on, the European operators sort of having yeah, a whinge yeah. at Europe. But one of the things they've been coming out with in the last few weeks has been this this kind of leaning on European authorities to back open Rand more, yeah? Fund yeah. trials, provide funding for startups. And the argument is that if you don't do that, then they'll, they'll lose out when it comes to... Well, it's all going to be dominated by US and Asian companies, yeah? And we haven't seen many Chinese companies, actually, even though there's this huge membership list that's Chinese in the ORAN Alliance. You don't see a lot of mm. Chinese suppliers of, of open RAN software or hardware um, turning up in, in trials and deployments. And no. stuff. Well, I mean, I now, okay, there's a geopolitics, I know. But, yeah. the, but Africa, you know, as you just said, Africa, other parts of Asia, South America, there's lots of other places where they could... Be active. Um, well, is it worth is it worth moving on to the sort of second thing yeah. that, you, that you derived from? Yeah. So that one, one thing that I focused on was China, and another one was Japan, because there was another presentation from NTT Docomo, which is Japan's biggest operator. And whenever you hear about Open RAN, that one of the first names that comes up is Rakuten, which is Japanese, yeah. um, kind of the equivalent of Amazon, but but a lot smaller. Right. Sort of the Japanese, but it's also a greenfield mobile yeah, operator. It's, it's an internet company. I mean, it's an e-commerce, yeah. you know, TV business. Yeah, fintech. somewhere between sort of Amazon and I don't know Netflix or something. <laughs> yeah, um, but they also. I mean, the the reason that we talk about them a lot and why they're so well known now outside China and in telecom circles is because they've got this really big project to build a fourth mobile network in Japan using open ran and a bunch of other kind of newfangled technologies and and that's their big thing is because we're greenfield we we don't have to worry about any legacy shit we can go straight in on the cut, yeah. cutting edge yeah and they're they're generally regarded i think whenever you get into a discussion with anybody about open ran they're kind of seen as the big cheerleader for open ran yeah and the only example of a of a company in a developed market that's actually rolled it out at scale um at least i thought so but until our NTT digital symposium this week because ntt docom i didn't know um, and it seems that other people, I mean, I talked to Gabe a little bit about it afterwards, and he was a bit taken aback as well. But what they seem to be saying is that they've their whole 5G deployment so far, which, by the way, is about 10,000 base stations now. So it's a pretty significant you know, amount they've rolled out. If you think about the UK being a market where someone like BT would have 20,000 sites altogether, you know, a, a 10,000 base station deployment in Japan is, is pretty substantial. Yep. Um, it's all based on open RAN Is principles. It? So they, the, the guy who did the presentation was saying all the all the um, the radio units they buy are different vendors from the baseband stuff, in you know, the compute stuff, which is the big thing. Of, I mean, this is like that's that was always kind of the one, of the, one of the one of the sort of most important things for people who were very keen on open RAN was to have that decoupling between those two elements really so you don't have to buy that those things together you get an interface between them that's more open and it allows you to say buy 
Samsung baseband equipment and use it with Nokia radios, for instance. And um, what what seems to be happening to some extent, I mean, there's a few vendors involved, but certainly Nokia is providing a lot of the baseband stuff with radios from Fujitsu, uh, which is also really interesting as well because Nokia's been, you know, as I say, they're one of the companies that, that out of the big three equipment vendors, have always been the most sort of enthusiastic yeah. about, or said they've said they're enthusiastic the most about lip service to it, yeah. open round, and they've been they've kind of taken a bit of flack. You know, people not sort of believing the story. You know, it's just it's just lip no, service. No, because I mean, it's worth I mean, we, we've done it loads of times, but it's worth recapping. Obviously, where people like Ericsson and, and Nokia make a lot of money is if if you want a base station, you got to get the whole shebang off them, and I'm sure. It, and so it's all fully integrated, but they've got guaranteed business for the for the antenna, for the baseband, for the software, for the SI stuff, all that sort of thing. And that is presumably a lot more profitable than just selling bits and bobs. Yeah. So obviously the the open round paradigm is is threatening to the business model. Yeah. And so we've always found it a bit funny for them to come out and go, "Now we love it." We're like, "Really?" Yeah. You know, it'd yeah. be like if if we suddenly came out and went. You know, we're we're really big fans of this other telecoms podcast. No, everyone would be like, "Are oh, you fuck?" Yeah, yeah, because you know, no, no. People say they like competition, <laughs> but yeah. no one really no, does. I know, I know. Yeah. Um, so, but then again, you know, we also consider. consider but they, but they, they don't want to be a Kodak. They don't want yeah. to be a Kodak, and they don't, and and they've got that. As we said before, they've got this delicate balancing act, which is again back to the original thing we we're talking about with Huawei. Why it's slightly surprising that Huawei's being quite as surly about it as they are. Because they, they they can't be seen to be hostile to the interests of their big customers. Totally, yeah. um, and, and that's how the Nokia's actually specifically presented it. I think if you if you talk to the I think I asked the CEO even on one of the investor calls about it, or he got asked about it by someone. If it wasn't me, and basically went, we can't. Um, we can't, we can't. Yeah, as we said, we can't just go. We don't want to do open ran. Yeah. Um, because that's what customers are asking for, and and therefore, if you're going to do it, you want to do it well. Yeah. You want to be one of the best open ran companies there, there is. So we might as well get stuck in. And and my impression is, you know, if, I mean, I've checked this with with people, and um, they didn't want to comment themselves, but I've got it from sort of reliable sources that they are providing baseband stuff in Japan that works with these yeah. Fujitsu radios. And I didn't the, even know Fujitsu was big into radios. Fujitsu and NEC are the two. So Fujitsu yeah. is supplying stuff for Dish in um, oh, right. in America. Um, NEC's, NEC's on a bit of a tear. NEC's on a tear. Fujitsu's the other one in, in Japan that's kind of... Um, yeah, I like that. <laughs> I he he liked that on a tear thing. On a tear. Was that an inadvertent pun? <laughs> no, that's like, we talked about this earlier. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. We, we, were just, we were just chatting for another thing. We were just chatting to someone from Netcracker, which is owned by... Yes. NEC. Yeah. Um, and they won. They won two awards this year in the, in the awards. So they're, yeah. they're doing well. Yeah. Um, um, but, but yeah. But the, so I think the. Um, I mean, this is good. It's a good story for Nokia. It's almost refutes some of this criticism that they've had that they're just paying lip service to it. That they're hmm. they're saying they've got open RAN compatible staff, but but they don't actually. You know, you've got you've got um, this situation in Japan with NTT. NTT Docomo, it seems has the biggest open RAN. 5G deployment right. in the world because but this is the other thing about Rakuten most of Rakuten stuff's not 5G in, in March this, they've got 30,000 uh, sites now deployed but most of those are 4G by March this, they're not provided a recent update but when they last provided an update on the 5G side of things in March only 1,000 of those were 5G sites and the other thing is that all the 4G stuff isn't compatible with ORAN aligned specs 
it's they might have opened the they might have opened the interfaces and done you know and, and allowed different equipment to work with you know this 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 rival company's products but it's not oran alliance compatible so mm. it's not really it's not really open ran you know mm. and yet you've got i mean uh, <coughs> at risk of referring to the glotel awards one more time another company that well is rakuten slash altia star yeah um and that was all open ran stuff that our judges were big on yeah um, so on the whole, well, it depends what you mean by open RAN. You well, know, I suppose so. But I mean, open RAN is just the con- the, the idea of having a, a concept, network that yeah, allows yeah. you to use one one person's stuff with another person's stuff because you've opened the interfaces between them. But ultimately, you're going to have a proper sort of ecosystem based on that, and it's going to become a global standard. It has to be based on something that's been agreed within a Indeed. specifications body. Yeah. Because there's always been a possibility for Nokia to say, well, we're going to work with this radio company and we'll open our yeah. technology so that we can work with them. In fact, that used to happen in, in NTT Docomo's case in the 4G days. They've done that before. But to have it actually based on the on the specs points to a future where you don't have to go through all these heavy sort of plug and pl- um, yeah. heavy testing sessions because you just, you just know, know out of the box yeah. that it's going to work. That's the dream, really. It certainly is. Um, it's and, like and, I'm old enough to remember PCs when when you couldn't be so sure that a new thing that you, even a peripheral, would work with the fucking thing. You'd have Completely. to go off and find a driver yeah. and all that sort of thing. A bit, yeah. bit before your time, Pierre. So, so in, in Rakuten's case, the whole the whole 4G project they've done is, yeah, it's, it's open in the sense that, in fact, they're using Nokia as well. They're using Nokia hardware with Altia Star software, for instance. But they themselves have acknowledged that it's not based on, that wasn't based on O'Ran Align specifications. It's just something they did because they wanted to get to get, to get it going. Get on, they, with it. Get, get on with it, exactly. So they moved ahead of the, where the specifications were. That's another danger, to, isn't it? Really. While it's not, you know, we, we sort of really agonized over what the status is of things like the O'Ran Alliance versus things like 3GPP. Yeah. And, you know, and then they're, they're not a specifications body. Is that right? I forgot that. I always get this. Well, the 3GPP is a proper standards group. Standards, that's it. Yeah. So the 3G standards group, the ORAN Alliance isn't. It's yeah. just forming specifications. And, and it the likes semantical to think of itself as a standards body. Yeah. But, but semantical differences, presumably there's all sorts of like rigor and best practice. That's, that's more of, a, that sort of, of, a, of an oversight thing in terms of meeting WTO, I think, re- right. requirements. I, I mean, that, that, I think that's more interesting on the geopolitical side of things because um, if you if you have proper accountability and certain companies don't have control, then everything's very transparent. Mm. It becomes easier to be involved in a group like that, even though you might be working alongside someone like Huawei, which is why actually um, American companies have been allowed to continue their involvement in the 3GPP alongside Huawei. Because if they... If they didn't, then they'd be they'd be sort of screwing themselves in a way because that's the globally accepted standard. Exactly, and yet and yet um, there was as if to illustrate that there was that flap about the Iran alliance the, in, with Nokia a few months yeah, ago. Yeah, and the, and the difference with the Iran alliance is that it doesn't meet WTO. Oh, okay. um, it doesn't appear to meet WTO so it's criteria. Not gonna, it's not quite the sort of gold standard. Of no, the and they sorry. they they think that they've addressed that by making some changes in mm. terms of transparency, but they still have this situation where five big companies have a veto have veto rights. One of which is China Mobile, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is slightly off the topic of what's going on in Japan. But, um, well, anyway, yeah, so back to, back to the Japan thing. Basically, what I'm getting from it, and from what you've just described, is that Japan's kind of kicking ass on Open Run. Is that, is that yeah. how you view it? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're kicking ass not only in terms of having, like, two massive... I mean, I, I don't know much about KDDI and SoftBank either. Let's remember there are two other networks there. And I, I suspect 
SoftBank's too busy trying to flog on. on I don't which know about SoftBank, but certainly KDDI, I think, is also quite involved in in what's going on in Open RAN. But um, but in the case of based on this NTT Docomo presentation, you know, it's got a bigger 5G Open RAN deployment than um, Rakuten has at the moment, and then Rakuten's obviously very highly regarded in terms of being involved in the technology and owning some of the companies that are developing Open RAN products. Um, and then you have all these vendors that are associated with with this, like, as you just mentioned, NEC, Fujitsu. Altistar itself is American, but it's owned by Rakuten, so you could almost say that's mm. a, it's kind of a yes, Japanese-American and, 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 and firm. Yes, and it's show that they're very sort of, you know, both the, all, the, all the entries that came in from one were linked to the other. Yeah. So they're obviously very closely attached. And, and, and the whole thing is... Um, I mean, I don't know how much this bit is quite an interesting story. It's almost like the reinvigoration of, Jap- of Japan as a, you know, as a kind of supplier to um, the yeah. mobile equipment business. Because, and it's all happen- it all seems to have happened quite recently. You know, you look at NEC and what it's managed to do in the last two, two three years. You know, not only a big deal with, um, not only a big deal with Rakuten in, in Japan, but they're also heavily involved with companies like Telefonica now, for instance. Yeah. Fujitsu is doing stuff with Dish. Um, you know, another thing that came out of the digital symposium was a, a presentation by Enrique Blanco, who's the CTO at Telefonica, and he's saying that their their kind of RAN software partner of choice is Altiostar. Mm. You know, so you've got all these companies that have got this connection to to Japan, um, and it's it's just worked in a really curious way. And as I said, I don't know how much government interest there's been, whether whether there was some kind of you know, centrally directed plan to try and um, reinvigorate the sector and take advantage of open round to do <coughs> NEC, this. NEC, I mean, it could have just been my own ignorance of the matter. But I always thought of NEC as a very old school, sort of stuffy industrial, but they're actually well, they're, pretty cutting edge these days. Yeah, and 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 the th- I think because they're in so many different markets, we didn't perhaps pay as much attention mm. to them as we should have done on the radio That's true, side of things. Because they've got that Japanese model of just getting involved in everything. Yeah, what and Fujitsu is similar. Forget. Uh, yeah, but well, jack of all trades. No, but I think of. there's a proper Japanese name for these big conglomerates. Right. Like there's a Korean name which I think is like Chable Cable. Right. Like that. Yes. And there's yep. a Japanese equivalent. You know, just Mitsubishi, Sony, Fujitsu. They've got a bit of everything, haven't they? Yeah. And, and I don't yeah, know. I don't know what, what the. Um, yeah, I mean, they were. They've always been there in the equipment market. NEC and Fujitsu. It's not like they haven't been doing radio products. Uh, yeah. Before. But they've they've managed to sort of almost sort of revitalise their business through Open RAN um, and with the support of Rakuten. I mean, Rakuten doesn't doesn't have any obvious financial stake in in uh, NEC that's disclosed, but they certainly seem to have quite an odd relationship with them in a way that you wouldn't with um, you know you wouldn't see that sort of thing happening. I don't think with someone like BT and Nokia in this, to the same extent. So you're an off- operator and vendor sort of close. Yeah, I mean, I've been like on a close R and D partnerships. Totally. I mean, I've been on conference calls with the Tarek Amin before. He's the CTO of Rakuten Mobile, and he's the guy who's really responsible for the whole thing. You know, the, the network rollout, and he said that he they basically went to NEC and said, "This is what you know what we want you to do for us, and this is how much we're prepared to pay, and this is the a bit to margin that we'll accept that you make from doing this." It's almost like setting out. The, it's a very odd so, way so of doing things, in a way. It's yeah. quite unusual, quite it's not, unorthodox. It doesn't feel like a negotiation, does it? No, and it's almost it's almost like using uh, NEC as a kind of R and D house, almost like using it like an in-house um, development. And again, facility. culturally, I mean, I've never been to Japan. I'd love to. Um, the sort of food, culture, history, all that stuff. I really dig it. Yeah, but it could be that culturally, 
what seems a little bit odd to us is a lot more normal there. Yeah, yeah. All right, we better um, we better and move we've that on about that for a long time. Well, um, just because we want to get done in about half an hour, and we've got a couple yeah. more things to do. Um, but one thing I'll say, just to sort of wrap up that sort of general focus on how East Asia seems to be where all the open rent stuff's happening, is that's a bit awkward for the Americans, I would say, because they they put a lot of political capital in open rent as being some kind of panacea for their own mobile sector, but. You know, even even the American companies that are doing well, like Altiostar, are owned by Japanese. Well, that, yeah, I, I, America does. I mean, the trouble with America is, I think that they seem they seem to be this political view that they could build a. It, it was almost at odds with what Open Rand's all about, actually, because Open Rand's all about fragmentate, a fragmented yeah, yeah. market and having small we'll own, specialist own firms. the open thing. And they seem to think that they could produce a, a, a rival to Huawei through Open Rand. Well, that's, that's not what Open Rand is. Point of it. Yeah, yeah, and they do. So they do have coming the people like Mavenir and Parallel yeah. Wireless, which is very prominent, and JMA Wireless is another one. They're software companies that do open RAN, you know, stuff. I'm, um, by the way, I'm, I'm hoping we're going to get Mavenir bloke on early next year. Well, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so they yeah. do have, and they've also got the chip develop, uh, designers as well. That's the important thing I think about the Americans. Yes. In a way that nobody well, else there, really there's does. A, there's a segue for you. Yeah. <laughs> nice one. <laughs> So you've obviously been doing this for a while, Ian. Uh, so talking about chips, yeah, um, we've got one. I'm going to do. I'm going to start by talking about my one, um, which is the Nvidia, proposed Nvidia acquisition of ARM. Mm-hmm. Now, this this actually was proposed um, about a year ago, I think. Let me just click through and, and see what my hyperlink seems says. even longer than that. Yeah, it does feel like we've been going on about it for a while. Um, let me see. Yeah, so, no, more than that. 14th of September. Um, and my headline, as soon as it was announced, was NVIDIA will struggle to get regulatory approval for its $40 billion acquisition of ARM. $40 billion. And you were right. Um, yeah, and, and look, I'm not going to claim any great credit because it's bloody obvious why. Yeah. But I'll summarise it now. Um, so ARM is, is almost unique as a company in that you know as again this is another area we get into sort of slight semantical quicksand but um arm licenses designs um for semiconductors made on the arm microarchitecture and arm arm microarchitecture um you know original arm arm used to be an acronym and now they've decided to go lowercase for some annoying reason and and it stood for advanced risks machines i think yeah and risk itself is a abbreviation, which is reduced instruction set com- computer, which is what Picocom's using actually. There RISC we go. Five. Yeah. So and and the the reduced instruction set computing kind of does what it says on the tin. It's basically a simpler sort of boffin language to take to tell bits of silicon what to do. Yeah. Which is why the the ARM architecture has always been superior to the other main microarchitecture that we have in chips in the world, which is x86, which is the Intel one that the AMD also uses, because it's just intrinsically more energy efficient. Now, the reason the reason it hasn't completely outcompeted Intel is because there are plenty of environments where energy efficiency isn't the highest priority, and you just want like raw computing power yeah. and all that sort of thing. And also things like PCs. You know, we're all right. I've got a Dell PC that will have an Intel thing in it. Look, I've even got my little... Intel Core i5 inside, and I hardly ever even hear it doing that sort of uh, hairdryer impression. So it obviously doesn't overheat. Granted, all I'm doing is writing stories. I'm not yeah. like 
you know, <laughs> I'm not transcoding video. I don't know if you're, how your Mac deals with it, but then you wouldn't admit it even if it did struggle because you're so <laughs> partisan. Um, but um, so yes, so but but certainly for mobile phones, for any kind of embedded environment, it's superior, and, and it's starting to make headway even in things like data centers where. Even though you're not constrained by space, you know, cooling is a massive consideration in environments like that. Um, and so Arn's pretty much the only one who, 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 does, who does this model of licensing the designs. Yeah. And then it licenses them to NVIDIA, for starters, licenses them to Qualcomm, licenses them to... You know, that's the only reason why smartphone makers have started being able to make their own chips. Less so Samsung, because Samsung's got a whole semiconductor thing, as we just discussed earlier. It's got its fingers in loads of pies. But the reason Apple was able to start making these chips, which by all accounts are as good as anything out there, um, it's because it can license the designs from ARM. It couldn't, it couldn't reinvent the wheel. It couldn't make its own Apple instruction set. Yeah. That's asking too much. But most of the heavy lifting is already done by licensing these ARM things. So whoever controls ARM basically has a hell of a lot of control over the global chip world. Global world doesn't really apply. Global chip ecosystem. There we are, to use a slightly more wanky term. Um, and... You know, ARM used to be a, um, a standalone UK company. I've been to ARM Towers over in Cambridge. It's literally next to a field. You can leave the office and then there's like some cows next door. It looks quite swanky these days, uh, that office. Yeah, some bits of it. it I, you know, maybe I didn't get the swankiest I think bit. they've done it up. Um, I actually went there and, and interviewed... Um, the, first, the first gig I did for seven and a half years ago when I started this, when we were still doing magazines, I interviewed Simon Seegers, who's the oh, CEO. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and anyway, yeah, and I've always been pr proud of them. You know, I'm, I'm not massively nationalistic, but it's nice to see a UK company yeah. that's a world-class player in technology. We don't have that many. So I'm like, good for them. And, you know, you've got all that, all that Cambridge tech scene, although they're not part of Silicon Fen, as they call it. It's a different part of Cambridge. And they're not affiliated to Cambridge University at all. Um, and then they got bought by SoftBank, and it's like, you know, you slightly, everyone always gets that slightly protectionist thing. It's like, oh, we're selling the family silver yeah. or whatever. Well, I think even more so now than when it happened. Perhaps yes. now it wouldn't have happened. Maybe, maybe those, maybe we're even more protectionist. But, you know, like Kraft buys Cadbury and everyone freaks yeah. out. And, you know, in practice, who cares as long as the chocolate still tastes nice? But there we go. Yeah. Um, well, the, the irony is that, um, you know, the UK government's all about open RAN as well, isn't it? And diversification. Well, there is that. And actually, ARM's heavily, heavily in, in, involved in the open RAN debate. Yes, yes. Well, it would be. I mean, even... See, because, as you say, for that, for that, it's the only alternative to having a sort of x86-based... Yes, server, totally. ...server system, so... And, so... and so when SoftBank bought ARM, I was like, all right, fair enough. You know, SoftBank's uh, another of these Japanese conglomerates that, that's mainly known as being an operator, but... <laughs> Latterly, has become more of a venture capitalist. It's got this massive vision fund, doesn't it? It just chucks billions of yeah. dollars around everywhere. Um, but the th what, what SoftBank doesn't do is make chips. It's not involved in the semiconductor world at all. So there wasn't an obvious conflict of interest when SoftBank bought it. The reason for it buying it wasn't that obvious. I've got to say that there was some wittering about IoT. Yeah, it was, it was one of those... It was one of those... Um yeah, it's a bit like Ericsson's Von Arge acquisition, I thought. Mm. You know, ones that are hard to explain to people in a couple of sentences. You've always got to, yeah. you've always got to wonder if they're going to Yeah, and then lo and behold, less we, than five years later, they're ready to flog it. We don't have antennas. Let's buy an antenna business because yeah. we want to sell stuff that involves antennas. It's quite sensible. That I can get when when you've got to start going, oh, well, it's got something to do with IoT and we can use the technology exactly. to do this, it all gets a it bit... You know, yeah. I think in hindsight, it was just because this guy... <clears throat> what's he called? 
Masayoshi Son. Masayoshi the, re- Son. the reason is because he's he basically just spends money on anything he can. Yeah, he's just basically a, a massive corporate gambler. He's yeah, just like he's in totally. fucking Vegas every yeah, day. That bloke. Yeah. Yeah, um, if he was in Vegas, he'd be the guy sort of running around all the one-armed bandits. Roller. And, 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 yeah, well, actually, yeah, he'd be spending... <laughs> yeah, he'd be yeah, the high he'd roller. Be, he'd be on the tables. He'd, be, he'd be like some, some ad for Aftershave with all the, all yeah, the beautiful and then you'd, people you'd crowding around him in while he rolls the dice. At four in the morning, looking like really yeah, depressed with his, it all gone wrong. With his bow tie night. undone, hanging around his neck, and he's just like, oh, chucking his last chip at the bloke running the lift, <laughs> or something like that. Anyway, we've run with that metaphor enough. Um, so he bought it for a laugh, and then he got bored of it. And uh, NVIDIA fancied buying it. But the difference is NVIDIA is a chip designer. So to get into the semantics, ARM designs the, the, the underlying, um, or licenses the underlying designs to actual chip designers like NVIDIA or Qualcomm or Apple, who then send it off largely to TSMC to manufacture it. Um, and, you know, if NVIDIA controls... They had some of their secret sources, they always say. Oh, yeah. That, 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 that's how it always gets pitched, is put, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. They, they they put some of their secret sauce on top of it, and then they send exactly. it off to. <laughs> Which is starting to sound fucking obscene, if you ask me. Keep your secret sauce to yourself, you dirty bastard. Um, but uh, yeah, so but Nvidia, you know, Nvidia competes directly with with certain um, companies. Um, you know, I can't name exactly where it competes with Qualcomm or it competes with whoever, or it's probably more. Well, in fact, I'll get into the FTC thing. So, you know, getting back to the point, my, those, those are the example. reasons why it was always a bad idea for it to happen. And the FTC, which is the American Federal Trade Commission, which is their main sort of commercial regulator, has been looking at it almost ever since. Yeah. And has finally come out and gone, no, this is bullshit. And being Americans, they can't just block it. They've got to sue to block it. Yeah. Um, and so, so, yeah, that's what, that's what they said. And um, let me just quote the FTC Bureau of Competition Director, Holly Vadova. She goes, um, the FTC is suing to block the largest semiconductor chip merger in history to prevent a chip conglomerate from stifling the innovation pipeline for next generation technologies. Tomorrow's technologies depend on preserving today's competitive cutting edge chip markets. And then, yeah, just more generic stuff about distorting markets and incentives. But the interesting thing is then... Then they listed the three specific markets that they thought would be distorted if this was allowed to happen. So one is high-level driver assistance systems for passenger cars. So uh, that's, that's like ADAS, is it? Yeah, ADAS, yeah, that is the acronym. Um, so so basically um, chips and, and software and computer systems for cars, so mm-hmm. Teslas and that kind of shit. Uh, one is DPU smart NICs, which it says are advanced networking products used to increase security and efficiency of data center servers. Yeah. And then lastly, ARM-based CPUs for cloud computing service providers. So again, this is like a data center thing. But there are, like NVIDIA, one of the, NVIDIA, we were talking about other people's share price. In fact, we'll get on to Marvel on a set, let's not forget. But NVIDIA's share price has gone through the roof in the last few years. And yeah. One of the reasons is it's got into these ARM-based CPUs for cloud computing. Mm. It first got into the data center stuff because its, it's core... Its core business is graphics processing. Graphics processing is about parallel processing, which is basically very high grunt. Um, you know, not necessarily efficient, but in incredibly high output. So it's good for, I don't know, Bitcoin mining or or, or other really sort of compute intensive stuff. Yeah. So AI in data centers was a big thing that, that NVIDIA's 
um, built on. And then it's made these ARM-based CPUs for, for cloud computing. Well, they've missed one as well there because it's a massive issue in the RAN industry as well. Oh, there we go. Because, because you know, those ARM licensees sell base station silicon to people like uh, Nokia, for instance. Um, you know, so you have companies, Marvell is one of them, NVIDIA is one of them, um, Xilinx is another, Yeah. Uh, Broadcom, Qualcomm. You know, those are all companies all that comms. develop that, that develop some kind of um, have some have some kind of interest in yeah. in developing base station chips, and um, and basically, if you so Marvel's a company I, I wrote about today, um, but and yeah, well, we'll get, we keep we keep teasing it. We'll get onto that in a sec. I mean, the, sorry, you carry on. I'll just, you I'll just, no, I'll, I'll not go on or not. I was just going to say, but they'd obviously be worried by a takeover like that, or you'd expect them to be worried because yeah. because it's it, it, it's almost like Nvidia could go, well, hang on a minute, we're going to decide in the future that we, we own ARM now, and you're not going to be able to get hold of their um, yeah. of their of their blueprints. I think anymore. I think it's as simple as no chip company should ever be allowed to buy ARM. Yeah. End of. Totally. Uh, it's not that complicated. It's taken these people months on end to come to that extremely simple conclusion. Um, but because maybe it took them a while to understand ARM's business model, because it is quite novel. Yeah. It took me a little while. It just happened to be something I was into even before I started this job. Um, so, so yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a no-brainer as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I, 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 I was going to say that I think the whole um, move itself, I, can't, I don't know the name of the NVIDIA CEO. Jensen Huang. Yeah, I think it was a really stupid deal, personally. Yeah, apparently because they've he, got to pay SoftBank one point five bill as a sorry about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think happen. I mean he's he's presumably a bright guy, right? Very and, much and, so. And, and because you don't get to run a company like Nvidia unless you uh, unless you're a bright guy. So for a clever bloke, it, yeah, and he's, he's a founder, founder. He's, right? He's, so, he, he is Nvidia. So basically. for a, a clever bloke, it was an incredibly stupid move. Well, I think he's another. He, I think he should have foreseen what gambler. was going to happen here. I think him and him and Masashi Song was it Masayoshi Song. Masayoshi Song. They're probably they're probably in rival craps tables trying to beat each other. I mean that's that's a really bad gamble. That that's that's. I think so. You know that's like betting on Blackburn Rovers to get promoted and win the Premier League next season. You know it's it's yeah it felt like a long shot from the start. It's just it's just not going to happen. You know I mean this deal's dead in the water after this because it's not only it's not I mean look. Regulators are getting a lot more involved in what goes. Another thing we've seen, I think, in the last few days was that move by the UK's own competition authority to block that Facebook takeover of Giphy. Giphy, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and it, and it only takes one authority in one part of the world to say this is something that can't happen for it to put I know, a massive it's, it's spanner in Yeah, That's you've got to get sign-offs from all these different regulatory authorities. And all one's got to do is go. And all, nah. all one's got, and this is a substantial one. The FTC, obviously. I mean, I don't know what the position actually is in the UK. What has the competition? Because they they've been looking at this for a long time and have raised they're still, concerns. They're still on it. I, I, As why, it's why it takes that long well, exactly, to be on I'm it, I do not know. I mean, what these people are doing, it's it's pretty obvious it shouldn't happen to anybody. Lunches. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just it's just a stupid move. It would be a stupid thing to allow it to happen. Yeah. And it was a stupid deal to 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 be uh, offered you, in the first place. I'll tell you the gutting thing for for SoftBank and Son if it doesn't happen. When, well, he, um, well, what's he going to do with it? That's the question. Well, yeah, but well, I mean, I think there was a piece, a speculative piece I saw talking about IPOing, but the amount of, the amount of money you get from IPOing versus what you get from Video, because the gutting thing is compared to when the deal was announced, Video's share price has shot the fuck up. Yeah. since then so it was a 40 bill acquisition back then but because a lot of the acquisitions in presumably in a in specified amount of nvidia equity yeah, yeah, it's yeah, now yeah. a 75 million deal <laughs> <laughs> 
So, so yeah. old, um, I, can't, I keep forgetting his Masayoshi first name. Masayoshi Song. Masayoshi. Yeah. I keep wanting to say it shorter. But I so don't Masayoshi know, Song sitting there thinking, great, that's 35 Bill. Just call him Masa, because I think that's how people Masa. refer to him. Yeah. Um, so, yes, but I agree with you. Uh, the, the US going so far as to sort of aggressively sue to stop it happening, I, I just don't see how it could go through now. No. No. And what about, so we, we keep uh, threatening to talk about Marvel. What's your Well, thing? Marvel reported yesterday, really late, because they're California-based, like most of these companies. Right. Um, it's called Silicon Valley for a reason, obviously. Yeah. And um, they're, I mean, they're a, a lot of the, the chip, the big chip companies in America, a lot of them are really interesting plays at the moment. I mean, you look at their performance, a lot of, they're all on this ridiculous trajectory over the last sort of year. And obviously when there's a supply crunch going on and you desperately need and there's a huge amount of demand for chips and everybody wants your stuff it's it's kind of a good thing in a way yeah yeah um no, and i don't think anyone in the chip sector's had a bad i mean the year chips industry is but i think so marvel's share i mean I mentioned at the start of the, the thing i think but the marvel share price is up th- more than threefold in the last um since since early 2020 basically which is dr- ridiculous it's dramatic growth wow and and even in um, and, and this is a company that's been around forever well, it's it's a company that's been around, but it's grown a lot through acquisition, actually. It's bought a lot of things. So can I just put in, I'll tell you one really interesting bit of acquisition it did that I learned about 10 or 15 years ago. Intel once did muck about with um, ARM microarchitecture. Yeah. And formed, I can't remember what the name of their little subunit was called, but it, it, it created a subunit that was that was ARM-y stuff. Um, and then in the end it went, no, nah, fuck it, we're going to just concentrate on x86. And it flogged its army stuff to Marvel. Yeah, about a decade or so ago. Uh, yeah, completely. And they've yeah, and they've had a, a history of doing this. They built themselves into this business. That's oh Christ, I can't remember what their market cap's worth, but it's close to sixty billion at the moment. Marvel. Yeah. Um, and uh, they built themselves into this sort of company worth sixty billion through a series of takeovers. You know, whether it's someone like Innovium, which is another data center specialist, you know, doing those sort of DPUs that you were talking about. Um, or, or or stuff more on the, on the mobile side. I mean, I was very much looking at... Um, yeah, Marvel's up 16% today. Right, yeah. 68 so I, billion. Oh, yeah, there you are. thank you. So I was... I was well, it's even more, obviously, after the increase, because it no, was... Right now, it's... He, he's right, just looked at it on his phone. Brilliant. Um, so that's, you know, it's just an amazing kind of growth story. Mm. Um, but I was very much looking at their results from through the lens of 5G, Um which is a big thing for us, obviously, more than covering some of the other markets that it's in. And their their 5G business is their carrier infrastructure business. So that's sort of selling, you know, silicon to operators, not to operators, but to vendors that sell to operators, um, is about a fifth of sales at the moment. So it's not not, not anywhere near the, the, the biggest thing they do, but it's turning into the growth engine. And you look at 5G, you know, everybody goes on about oh, 5G. It's, there's been all this hype and excitement about 5G for years, and yet no one's really made any money out of it, have they? You know, you mm. look at Ericsson and Nokia's results, they're lucky to report single-digit percentage increases in, in revenues, aren't they? The service providers themselves, less than that, it's flattish. Um, Marvell is up, its 5G sales are up 30%. Uh, year on year, and it's now forecasting for the fourth quarter forty percent increase uh, in 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 basically in, in sales of five G five G silicon for base stations is is essentially what they're talking about, and a lot of it's come through this deal they've got with Nokia, uh-huh. uh, and it actually stems from Intel's big cock up. So you go back to you go back to we talked I think we talked about this on the 
pod a few times before, but you go back to the 2017, 2018, and um, Nokia was relying entirely on Intel for its sort of 5G silicon strategy. Um, and it got let down. It got let down on this sort of 10 nanometer manufacturing mm, process. Just like um, Apple got let down as well. And, and what that forced it to do <clears throat> is to fall back on these costlier chips called field programmable gate arrays, which it was buying from Xilinx. Um, and it, and, and the, the result of that was that they just basically lost competitiveness in the market. You yeah. know, they couldn't really compete against Ericsson. people and, didn't want to shell out whatever the claimed advantages of FPGAs were. Yeah, people didn't want to shell it, out it, it just affected their margins. They yeah. just weren't competitive enough against, custom, against people with customised silicon, which is what they've been trying to do, it seemed, with, with Intel. And... Um, and the, uh, the, so the initial response to that was to sort of go down this sort of FPGA route. And then they've got this guy in charge called Tommy Wito, who's head of the mobile business now. And what he's basically done is moved away from that single, ve- very bad decision to have a single vendor strategy. I mean, we talk about this all the time. That's, it shows what can happen with a single vendor strategy. You get let down by that one company yeah. and they basically lost competitiveness in the market for a couple of years. That's massive, isn't it? And we, what Wito's done is in, he's retained Intel, actually, but he's introduced two other companies alongside it as silicon suppliers. One's Broadcom and the other one's Marvell. And a lot of the growth that they've seen in their business has been because of what they've got with Marvell. And it now seems like they're even increasing their share. So they, they've got those three players in the mix. From what they were saying on the earnings call yesterday, it sounds like they're even, you know, Nokia's, it, it sounds almost like Nokia's relying more heavily on Marvel or expects expects to rely more heavily on Marvel than it does on the others in the future. You know, they've got this, um, uh, what they're selling is, ba- they're selling baseband processors, basically, transport processors, but even the CPU, the, the CEO was saying, that Nokia wants to get CPUs from us in future, beyond-based CPUs, by the way. Of course. Uh, this Octium product they've got from 2024. And it's and it's just basic. If, you're, if you've got a deal with one of the three big equipment vendors in, on the planet, um, bearing in mind that Huawei develops its own base station silicon through, through high silicon, so it doesn't actually go shopping around, uh, at these companies, not not that it'd be able to anyway these days. You know, it's it's basically just completely transformed that carrier infrastructure business, and they're now using that as a kind of springboard to doing stuff in open RAN. So the same products that they've been developing for Nokia, they're hoping that they'll be able to you know position in the sort of open RAN market and sell as merchant silicon. So you can basically have a deal with someone like Benetel, which is a small Irish radio unit manufacturer. And, um, you know, sell, sell exactly the same products they've been selling to Nokia, but on a sort of merchant silicon basis that would then that then sort of fit into that overall open RAN story. Okay, so the general picture, and then I'm going to have to move it on because um, we're running out of time, is that the chip, chip sector is just looking really exciting from a telecoms perspective because uh, it's just getting involved. We've spoken about open RAN. We've spoken about all these other little bits and bobs. And obviously chips, you know, one of the problems, that, one of the reasons this chip issue that we've had globally has been such a big deal is because they're in fucking everything now. Yeah. You know, there's, there's no such thing as a pure sort of analog machine anymore. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, like a pricey watch, maybe. Yeah. Um, but, you know, most people, I bet you got an Apple watch, haven't you? No, nothing. you got nothing. Oh, I'll let you off. No, I don't no nobody wears watches these days, really. I do. But I've got, yeah, I've got an old school watch. But it's a wedding present. I didn't buy it. Uh, I'll let um, you off. So anyway, um, so yes, okay, I think I think that's really interesting and, and really worth keeping an eye on, but I, I think we can all agree that it's best off if ARM is not owned by another chip maker. Totally. Cool. Um, so finally, 
we wanted to talk about I keep forgetting what the final thing was remind me again uh, we had that the European big moaning big tech that's it yeah so the, the the first thing that made me want to talk about big tech is a story I wrote let me just fire it up um, using my sort of typical sort of Scott not very professional <coughs> language um, I said European operators have yet another collective moan was my headline yeah. Um, and this is European operators as as manifested through um, Etno, which is a, a European telecoms trade association. And so it's basically all the big ones in Europe, including even ones that aren't part of the EU, i.e. Vodafone. They went and wrote to whoever will listen. And what was it? The start of their... So the start of their letter was, we... The CEOs of Europe's leading telecommunications companies call on EU policymakers to closely align Europe's digital ambitions with a supportive policy and regulatory ecosystem. So on one level, they at least haven't been begging directly for cash, or at least so it seemed um, at first. They, but they were just doing their standard thing of imploring, you know, sometimes it's... They, they want they want looser policies when it comes to m a sometimes they just want a bit more support when it comes to things like dealing with landlords and and shit like that yeah but they just basically w- just want some more help and they, and they always sort of get the world's smallest violin out and and talk well, about it was what it was fucking i mean the things they're, they're asking for are ridiculous aren't they well so let me it's get like a, it's like a sort of christmas wish list you know, yeah. where, where, where your son asks for his first car. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah, oh, oh, we want, already. we want, we want to have, we want to be allowed to merge. Uh, we want an internet neutrality, effectively. Yeah. And what was the other one? And spectrum should well, be Well, so, free. so, so their <laughs> language was. I mean, I reproduced it in full. Their language was bullet point one. There were three bullet points. A clear alignment between European digital leadership ambitions and competition policy. That's probably what you're saying about M and A. Second one was. Strong political buy-in to ensure that regulatory action fosters investment in gigabit networks, um, which, and there was a whole big write-up, but I'm going to come into, I did my sort of TLDR distillation underneath. And then the third one said, a renewed effort to rebalance the relationship between global technology giants and the European digital ecosystem. And so, and I said, if we had to summarize the three points, it'd be as follows. One, let us collaborate more. Um, which obviously maybe I was a bit gentle there. Maybe I, I should have said, let us do M&A more. Two, let us charge more for international calls. So that was reading between the lines what all that investment in gigabit network stuff. They basically they basically think they're getting fleeced of some margin for, for I don't know, international calls or roaming or something I think like was, that. there was also a reference to Spectrum in number two, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's a long old thing, which I'm certainly not going to bore you or our audience with. And the third um, one had, had the, had the yeah, sentence. Yeah, so the third one was basically, my characterization of it is, make US tech giants give us money. Yeah, because, well, it, well the, the third that included this sentence that um, things can only be sustainable if uh, big tech platforms contribute fairly to network costs. Well, that's, that's basically uh, what net neutrality is all about. You know, not, uh, not having um, big tech platforms paying for network usage. Yes. So, so the, they're essentially basically saying we want an internet neutrality, which is which has become a theme recently. So long as it favours us. Yeah, and so we get all this moaning from operators. Like we had it in Korea with SK Telecom <laughs> bitching about how many people were watching Squid Game on yeah. Netflix. Um, well, that's, I think that's triggered this. I mean, Mark Alera at BT is the head of the consumer business. has been going on about this a lot recently. I even met him about it. Um, and he was 
tweeting about it this week about you know his view that um, there needs to be this, this rebalancing as they, as they put it in that particular letter but mm. um, there's been this huge surge in internet traffic on, on yeah. networks which is not surprising because everybody just sits at home these days worrying about getting Omicron <laughs> and, and while they're at home all they do is watch Premier League football on broadband networks yeah. and therefore what what used to be sort of 13 14 terabits per second peak level traffic was now apparently wednesday night it was up at 25 it's the highest bt's ever seen on the network and and they're all of a sudden sort of starting to say mark alaris says they're seeing problems on the network because of this caused just by one or two platforms you know the big tech the Netflixes, yeah. the amazons these kinds of people oh, yeah. the Premier League was on amazon prime this week yeah and therefore and therefore what they so think people is people aren't watching it on itv or and, he, and he's saying for every extra terabit it costs them you know millions each year in 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 in, in resolving yes. this therefore those companies should stop some, up some of the money i mean i have some sympathy there when you know when you frame it that way um you know their network's being used and, and if it's being used exceptionally then that causes them problems but it strikes me that the the main problem is of their own making, which is how they sell this stuff, because it's uncapped. Yeah, and, and and because they've probably all competed with each other to ensure that uncapped is the only viable way. I mean, who the fuck is going to buy a capped broad, broadband uh, contract now? Yeah. Um, but you know, if it was capped, then when something like this is coming up and you are about to stream. Um, a Champions League football game on Amazon Prime, then you'd have to have a little think about it. They might even Premier League, Premier League was it? Not Champions League, sorry. Um, you'd have to have a little think about it, and maybe they'd even be able to set up little, you know, little mess advanced messages going, "Look, if you think you're watching this, just so you know, it's going to use up five gigabits of your allowance." Well, or I, mean, like I that. think the the, the the Amazon Bites. Prime streaming this week that caused this huge spike. I mean, what was the match, Pierre? The, no, no, the entire Premier League, uh, whatever they had a midweek week was it? They had a midweek session. I mean, yeah. look, they should have known this was coming anyway, Bad right? against my new, Pierre. They, no. they would have known this was coming. This can't have been unexpected that if you put an entire, if you have an entire midweek session, knowing what happens with each football yeah. game. It was Tuesday, Wednesday, um, Thursday. They, they would have known this is coming anyway. It's not something they couldn't pre prepare for. Yeah, and this and, is what they do. It also shows and, how many people have Amazon... Like an Amazon Prime yeah. membership. Yeah, this is the business they're in. You know, I I take your point. I don't think it, it's almost like they're trying to blame. Um, it's it's a, it's just such a weird thing because let's be honest, nobody would be on the internet, nobody would be subscribing to broadband services in the first place if it weren't for interesting companies like Amazon and Google that actually provide content on the on the internet. You, you don't just provide, yes. you don't just subscribe to a broadband network because it's for a broadband network. It. Yeah, you know, it's, it's because, because of what's you want on Netflix. It. So you could actually you could actually make an argument that the big tech's done them a favour. It's only because big tech's provided these gloriously wonderful, you know, content service TV mm. and you know media media packages that you can get now when you when you go online that people have bothered to get yeah, subscriptions I think, I think in the first place. Their real complaint is that they're that they're the way they charge for stuff hasn't kept pace with the way the world's evolved and that, and and that unfortunately is a problem of the operators making yeah. you know it's not something that they it, this idea that internet companies should pay because they're because the, the stuff that consumers are using gobbles up a lot of capacity well they've already it's double charging basically because they're already extracting money from yeah. the end customer for that fee and then they're saying well the internet companies should pay as well if they can't make a profit and they can't make it add up then they need to have a look at how they price things. 
and they've all they've all rushed to they, they were responsible for this because when they were desperate to try and um attract people to you know to broadband packages and even more so i would say to what happened in mobile is even more dramatic you know they went for years in the days of 3g not really being able to figure out a sensible way of pricing 3g services at a time when handsets weren't very compelling either and there wasn't a lot of content actually to entice people and one of the things that was done was to move to a more sort of flat rate system and I just think they've they've sort of undermined the value of yeah. what they do. It, it's almost their fault in a way. That I, what's I agree. Happened. I'm just looking at some of the wording of the open letter they wrote regarding this last point about you know big tech and all that. Um, <clears throat> and they and they have this usual stuff about how you know the only way the only way this can happen is if we continually invest in the network. And then it goes, quote, this model, which enables EU citizens to enjoy the fruits of the digital transformation, so already they're trying to hold the politicians to ransom a little bit, can only be sustainable if such big tech platforms also contribute fairly to network costs. Now, that seems like a hell of a claim. So they're saying they can't even do it at all unless Amazon and Netflix and... Well, it's it's also the assumption that, that that they don't contribute to network costs in itself slightly baffling. I mean, they have huge they? data centers. Well, it depends what you regard as. Amazon and and, um, and Google could come along and say, "Well, we we have huge costs for running our data centers, and you know, and that, and the content yeah. that you get that streamed over your networks comes from those. So you should chip in some some data center so. costs. They're going to flip it. We, we, Amazon Netflix could say we spend billions each year on content production." And and it's only because of that content production that anybody subscribes exactly. to your service, BT. No, you're completely Why don't right. you come along and, and chip up so some content So getting the violin costs. out of, like, we're investing and everyone's benefiting it, poor us. Like they're doing it out of the goodness of their yeah. heart. Yeah. I mean, no, where, I where I've got sympathy for them is on the... That point is just daft, really. <laughs> uh, where I've got some sympathy for them is on the... Um, the M&A side of things, actually, and, and, yeah. and the spectrum side of things. I do think that, you know, I don't think European regulators have done themselves any favours. Uh, you know, we, we can't hold European regulators up and say that they have, have done a marvellous job of, of, of looking after this sector over the last few years. There's been lots of things that you can criticise them for as well. And I think there's definitely a case that they've been maybe too restrictive on allowing companies yeah. to merge and this this insistence that every single market has to have four mobile networks for some reason i just find very it's bizarre it's quite arbitrary and it's, it just doesn't seem to be appropriate i don't think it's actually in the i know why they're doing it because they think it's good for the consumer you know to to, to have that sort of level of competition and have prices low but you know in the long term i'm not sure that it is good for the consumer if it means that companies in europe are investing less let's say in in 5g rollout than they are in in China and America, then at the end of the day, the consumer loses as well, yeah? Mm. If, there's, if, if network investment suffers and if we end up with poorer infrastructure, if we don't benefit from some of these services that come online. So I'll just say to wrap it up, I don't think, firstly, I'm going to say, I don't think we've got time to do any of the AWS stuff that happened this week, Justice. Yeah. Um, sorry, to, we've got we've got one... Um, we can talk about it next week. Yeah, yeah, we've got one American fan who wrote in an email, both of us, I won't name him because it was an email. Um, but he wanted to know what we thought about it and I had to disappoint him and just say I haven't really <laughs> looked into it enough we were going to have a go at it now but really th- this stuff's quite in the weeds and we-, we haven't got time to do it justice but to wrap up um, this point one thing I'll say you know I'm you know, I'm sort of scathing and talking, accusing them of moaning and that sort of thing but one thing where I do have sympathy for them is and this is, this is where 
this is at the root of a lot of their moans, is that they are a lot more regulated than other parts of the tech world. Yeah. Now, there's good reason for that, because the barriers to entry to being a telco are so high um, that, that you can't just manufacture competition. But they are heavily regulated, so they are going to have more of a moan about regulation than other industries. Well, the, the other area where I'd have sympathy for them is on the spectrum, actually, which they mentioned. I mean, clearly some countries have engineered spectrum auctions to just extract just as much as possible without, yeah, yeah. without actually thinking whether this is a good thing. I mean, look, look at Italy. It's mm. actually the outstanding example, if you want a recent one in 5G, where it was clearly done to just get money. I think I without really it an thinking, orgy when I wrote it. Yeah, up. and it wasn't, and, it, and they structured it in an odd way so that some companies were left with quite small holdings and other ones weren't. It was all clearly done to inflate the take. Yeah. And that's not, that's, things like that shouldn't happen. Yeah, that's extorting a sector just because they can. Yeah. Totally. Um, but yes, but I think we all agree that they're, they're probably bucking up the wrong tree in terms of insisting that the likes of Amazon and Netflix be forced to hand over money just because they're producing things that are popular with their customers. Cool. Right, we better wrap it up there. Um, yeah, that's it. So I'll say thanks a lot for listening and make sure you join us for the next one. Bye.